0: Vermont now has the most radical restrictions on single-use plastic bags in the nation. This is another first by our activist legislators who are desperate to use their far-left agenda to shove poor Vermont yet again into the national spotlight. Republican Governor Phil Scott signed this bill, Senate Bill 113, which prohibits retailers from giving customers single-use plastic bags at the checkout counter, and this will begin from next July. So, from July 2020, you're gonna have to find another way to pick up your dog's poop, or clean the cat litter, or collect your bathroom trash. Stores in Vermont can, however, still provide customers with paper carryout bags for a fee of 10 cents. Make no mistake, this law is a carbon tax in the form of a 10% tax on paper bags. (music) Banning single-use plastics in Vermont formed a top priority campaign for an organization called VPIRG or the Vermont Public Interest Research Group based in Montpelier. VPIRG bills itself as Vermont's largest consumer and environmental organization and proudly declares on its website that it went toe-to-toe against big-moneyed special interests this legislative session. But with an annual budget of at least $1 million One could easily argue that VPIRG is a big moneyed special interest group itself. Why is VPIRG a special interest group? Because I don't believe that imposing a carbon tax on a population of around 500,000 adults to ostensibly save the planet is what our dying state economy needs as a top priority. Eric Lamontagne, who heads a nonprofit called Campaign for Vermont, recently penned a useful article in which he compiled data that illustrates the appalling state of Vermont's economy today. When it comes to private sector wages and benefits, Vermont ranks 49th in the nation, just barely better than the state of Montana. This fact is, of course, deeply disconcerting but there was another data point that La Montaigne mentions that deserves attention. Vermont ranks 49th after taking into consideration the regional cost of living. Without adjusting for regional price parities, the regional cost of living, we would actually come in 23rd in the nation for private sector wages. But Vermont is so expensive that a dollar goes only so far in our state. Given this reality, what is the purpose of imposing such a sneaky carbon tax on Vermonters? To answer this question, we need to understand what's really going on here. Climate change activists claim that they are concerned with a higher noble cause, that of saving Mother Earth for posterity. In fact, They use this as a guise to dictate how ordinary Americans ought to live their lives. To deflect from the true totalitarian motive, they frame the debate as, do you believe in climate change or not? This is a trap. Because if you don't say, yes, I do believe in it, then you are automatically maligned as an anti-science denier, a polluter, an immoral and selfish human being. This is why it is absolutely critical to reject this framing, reject it outright. Whether the planet's climate is changing or not, whether the industrial revolution began a series of changes that altered the percentage of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere or not, these are besides the point. There's only one thing that we should concern ourselves with, How do these activists want us to change our lives to suit their fancy? In Vermont, they don't want us to use single-use plastic bags, but instead pay 10 cents for paper bags. Tomorrow, that 10 cents can easily become $2, $5, $10. What's to stop it from rising? If it's toward a higher noble cause of saving Mother Earth. If climate change activists in Vermont were truly genuine about their cause. They would be picketing China, where the topsoil is eroding thanks to aggressive economic development by the Chinese. They would be harassing India, where the nation's capital is steeped in toxic smog. Ultimately, we do share one planet. Rampant pollution by over two billion people on the other side of the earth definitely negates anything that Vermonters do. So why punish the middle and working class people of Vermont? Because it is about punishing the middle and working class people of Vermont. It is about controlling our lives. In addition to harassing Vermont farmers while leaving the Chinese alone, here's another reason why climate change activists in Vermont are not genuine about their cause. They claim that they want low carbon, or clean and cheap energy. Well, the state of Vermont had a nuclear plant, Vermont Yankee, that was in fact fulfilling this very purpose. For decades, Vermont Yankee had been a reliable source of low carbon and cheap energy. But climate change activists hate nuclear energy. They have an ideological opposition to the very idea of generating electricity by splitting an atom. Instead, they want wind and solar, or renewable energy to be the future. So anti-nuclear energy activists waged a relentless and merciless campaign against Vermont Yankee, and succeeded in getting the legislature to decommission and shut down the nuclear plant. And what was the real world consequence of this major activist victory. According to an investigation by the left-leaning Boston Globe, the closing of Vermont Yankee in 2014 led to an increase in greenhouse gas emissions from New England and quote, a hole in the region's energy grid that will haunt it for decades, end quote. The loss of low carbon cheap energy from the Vermont Yankee nuclear plant spurred the need for replacement forms of energy and that led to a 13% increase in the use of natural gas generated electricity. As a result, the emissions from Vermont and New England rose. In other words, the actions of climate change activists has led to increased pollution from Vermont. Meredith Angwin, a chemist, turned pro-nuclear energy advocate in Vermont, helped me wrap my head around this conundrum. She chronicled the Vermont Yankee debacle in her widely read blog, Yes, Vermont Yankee. The opposition to nuclear energy stems from an irrational association of nuclear bombs with nuclear plants. This phobia perpetuates even though numerous studies in top scientific journals have proven that nuclear power plants are by far the safest way to generate reliable electricity. In addition to this phobia, anti-nuclear activists nurture an appeal to the purity of nature, wherein they see natural sources like the sun and wind as pure and nuclear energy as impure. This belief harkens back to environmentalism's original claim that man is the villain and mother nature is his victim. Specifically, the free and independent capitalist man is the villain. Because poverty eradicating capitalism disproves Marxist doctrine and therefore the capitalist will always be the bane of the left's existence. Let's pause here for a quick recap. We began this episode with Vermont's new ban on plastic bags, the first carbon tax of many more that are sure to follow. Then we saw how climate change activists unfairly target Vermonters under the guise of saving the world. We saw how their irrational opposition to nuclear energy led to the shutdown of the Vermont Yankee nuclear plant in 2014, which in turn led to a greater reliance on natural gas for energy needs, and that has increased carbon emissions from Vermont and New England. Basically, climate change activists have directly increased regional pollution. Then, as we went down the rabbit hole, we finally arrived at the truth. Environmentalism is a form of totalitarian control over the people and is anti-capitalist or socialist in its DNA. When the workers of the world did not unite, as Karl Marx predicted, the socialist intellectuals and critics of capitalism reframed human civilization's problem. Now the issue wasn't that capitalism was causing poverty. No, the real problem was that capitalism was destroying the environment. Here, I will quote from an article by Michael Schellenberg, written for Forbes magazine, titled, The Real Reason They Hate Nuclear Energy. Quote, in the 1970s and 80s, France and Sweden proved that they could decouple air and water pollution from the production of electricity simply by building nuclear plants. But the problem posed by the existence of nuclear energy was that it proved we didn't need to radically reorganize society to solve environmental problems. We just needed to build nuclear plants. So, the new left environmentalists attacked nuclear energy as somehow bad for the environment, end quote. Instead of nuclear energy, they championed renewables as an option that is not simply better for the environment, but for human society. Schellenberg continues, quote, The problem with nuclear energy is that it does not demand the radical remaking of society, like renewables do, and it doesn't require grand fantasies of humankind harmonizing with nature," end quote. Socialist writer, Naomi Klein, argued in an article titled, Capitalism versus the Climate, for the far-left publication, The Nation. She argued in favor of community-controlled renewable energy and local organic agriculture. Her rhetoric fits right in with that of Vermont's climate change activist lobby. I would like to build on Schellenberg's analysis by adding a more cynical dimension. I would argue that the environmentalist movement knows that converting our fuel sources to 100% renewable energy is not a realizable goal environmentalism's professed objective of relying completely on renewable sources of energy offers a goal that they can chase perpetually and under the guise of this never-ending but noble pursuit they can implement all kinds of totalitarian policies that dictate the way that we live this agenda allows for the accumulation of greater statist control, creating more opportunities to reorganize American society along anti-capitalist lines, all the while letting green leftists signal their virtue as saviors of the world. And thanks to our legislators and administrators who work so bravely under the long shadow cast by big moneyed special interest groups like VPIRG, Thanks to all their brave and tireless efforts, Vermont represents the nation's primordial soup from which all forms of fringe, radical, and experimental policies first come to life. This trend will continue until we elect a new political class and change the parameters and content of our sociopolitical discourse. So if you are interested in writing What's Left then join me again next week. I'm Meg Hansen.